All right. Well, just to bring you all up to speed, we are in the middle right now of, we're actually in the middle of two, two series. Uh, we started out in the book of John, the gospel of John, wanting to discover more about who Jesus is and what that means for our life. Um, that series has been honestly really encouraging for me personally. I feel like I'm learning a ton more about Jesus. Uh, it's funny because, like I said, we're in the middle of two series. We pressed pause on that series because we really felt like God was doing something in our community. We really felt like there was many of us, actually we knew that there was many of us that were, had questions and kind of discerning different things regarding finances. So we said, okay, Lord, we feel like you're leading us to press pause on our series in John um, and to do a short series on following Jesus with finances. Uh, we called this series Treasure. I think it's been, honestly, so far for me, it's been really inspiring to like, I want to actually follow Jesus in every area of my life. Uh, it's, been, it's been encouraging. So uh, just to kind of review, we have, this is the third week in that series. If you, were, if you were here last Sunday, you were by yourself because we were up in the mountains for the retreat. It was an amazing time. Our family of churches got together. If you didn't know, we are part of a, of a much bigger story. Uh, we belong to a family of churches, and we all, all the churches kind of said, we're not going to gather individually in our own cities. We're going to come up to the mountain together and be together for uh, like a day and a half for the weekend. It was it was remarkable. Uh, I know many of you, you've shared just kind of what, what and how God ministered to you in that time. And I just can't tell you, like, I'm already looking forward to next year. It was like spectacular, guys. It was amazing. Um, but all that being said, we are, this is the third week of our, our series, Treasure, Following Jesus with Finances. Uh, week one, we talked about uh, the reality that money has a lot of power and how it reveals what it is that we worship, what it is that we ascribe worth to. Um, and we talked about how it also has the power to redirect what we worship. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We talked about this concept. It's a foundational concept in the Bible um, that the Christian, the follower of Jesus, is not an owner of really anything. We're stewards of what God has graciously given us. It's an amazing thing. Um, and we talked about also in week one, like the reality of how helpful it is to, to make and use a budget and how that is actually an act of worship because it's us, it's, us, it's us operating as stewards of God's things, not, um, not like kings with our own resources. And then the second week, we talked about tithing. We talked about giving back 10% to God and how that's actually a test. Um, it doesn't earn God's favor. It doesn't earn something, but it is a test of whether or not we believe that we're actually stewards and not owners. Um, we also talked about in week two about investing in the mission of God to make disciples of Jesus and how that is the best investment anybody could ever make because it's an eternal investment. The best investment you can make this side of heaven is at best temporary. Even if you get an amazing return, let's say you get 10, 12, 15% on your money, on your investment, that's cool and everything, but it's temporary, man. There's something beautiful about eternal investments, about investing and making disciples of Jesus. Um, but this morning, we're going to be, uh, we're going to kind of be jumping around all over the Bible this morning. Go ahead and grab your Bible if you have it with you. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to start there at least. Uh, if you don't have your Bible, it's totally fine. We have, the, we'll have the words up on the screen here for you. Uh, I, I typically preach out of the ESV translation. That's the English Standard Version. Um, so that's what I'll be in this morning. So go ahead and flip there. Uh, before we jump in, this morning, I want to share with you about one of the most impactful experiences of my entire life. It was incredibly transformative for me. Uh, about, let's see, it was 2012 was a, 
a pretty massive year for me and my family. Uh, our, our first daughter was born, Amelia. It was like the adjusting to parenthood is amazing. Uh, it's a gift, but it's, it's hard. So 2012, we had our first kid, and, and uh, that was the year that God called us to help plant the first restored church in San Diego. And it was kind of a, it was kind of a crazy season because God, uh, just to be honest, I know it's always funky when people say, like, God told me to do something. But the only way I can think to describe it to you is like, me and Ebony both were absolutely convinced that that was what God himself was telling us to do. Um, and it caused us to make some kind of radical decisions like getting rid of everything and reorient our lives to do that with no job and a brand new baby. It was a crazy season. I, if somebody came to me and said, hey, I just had a baby, should I quit my job and move to San Diego? I'd say, you're a lunatic, like, let's talk about this. But that was my story, it was crazy. Um, but it wasn't just me making that decision in isolation. We had, we had close um, friends who know and love Jesus processing and praying along with us, and it was unanimous, like, yeah, God is doing something special, you should do this. But it was in that season, um, it was like right after Millie was born, um, we, had, we, we basically functioned as missionaries, um, so we fundraised like 1850 bucks a month, um, and our rent ended up being $1,500 a month, and our car payment was 300 bucks. So we were like, okay, God, you're going to have to like miraculously take care of us. And honestly, he did. It was amazing. I'll tell you more about that later, but that's just, I want you to picture that season of life for me and my family. Okay, me and Ebony had been married for three and a half years or something, had our first baby. She's brand new. We've reoriented our life because God called us to do something kind of radical. And it was interesting because, like I said, we just had the baby and I got the bill in the mail. And it was after we had made all these decisions financially, you know? I mean, just so you know, church planning, like, (laughs) if if you want to make a lot of money, do not get into church planning, Okay. So we get this bill in the mail, and our, our insurance at the time wasn't great. We had a $10,000 deductible annually. So basically, for those of you that don't know how that works, the way it works is you pay up to $10,000 a year for your medical costs. Everything above that, the insurance company pays. You tracking with me? So we got a bill in the mail for ten grand because you know, her, her, the bill for the baby was like twenty five grand or something. So we get this bill, and I'm like, Lord, what are we going to do? Like, you called us to do this. We don't have any, like, what are we going to do? And it was right around that time, a, a good friend of mine knows and loves Jesus. He calls me. He's like, hey, you want to go golfing? And I'm like, dude, I can't afford Top Ramen. I'm not going to go golfing. And he's like, dude, just let's go golfing. I want to hang out. I'll pay for you. And I'm like, done. Let's go. <laughs> I'm not very good at golf, but I love being outside and I love, I love being on the course. It's fun. And so, yeah, so that season of my life, I'm on the golf course with this guy, and I'm like, okay, I shouldn't be doing this, but he was generous. And to be honest, guys, it was, it was the, financially speaking, it was the most in need Ebony and I have ever been, okay? Maybe many of you guys have had different seasons of life where you're like, money is tight, it's hard, okay? So I'm on the golf course with this guy, and we're like in the middle of the course. I'm talking like probably like the eighth hole or something. And we're sitting in the golf cart, and he goes, hey, man, um, and he's like, yeah, he goes, hey, I was praying, um, and I felt like God told me I'm supposed to give you some money. And I'm like, dude, you don't have any money. Like, I know him. He doesn't have any money. Um, and he goes, I feel like God told me I'm supposed to give you money, and he hands me a check. 
and the check is $10,000. It's exactly the amount of our medical bill. And I'm like, I just, I'm in the middle of a golf course and I'm like crying. And he's crying with me and he's like, dude, I just, I was praying. Um, We had a little bit of money saved, which that's a lot of bit of money saved in my opinion, but (laughs) for a church flatter, it's a lot of money saved. Uh, But so he's like, I had, we had some money saved and I, I, I prayed and asked God, like, what do you want me to do with this? Because wa- there were some things that they wanted to do, but he's like, oh, we wanted to bring it before the Lord. And he asked them, what do you want me to do with this? What needs do you want to meet, God? And I tell you that story because it absolutely changed my life. It changed the way I approached, honestly, what I do with the resources God's entrusted to me. That experience, it forever changed the way that me and Ebony approached giving to the needy giving to those in need. And the reason it transformed me and it really affected me was because in my time of like great need, we were recipients when we needed it bad. And and, and there was no foreseeable kind of option here, right? Our debt was way more than we could pay, okay? But it was paid, but it wasn't paid by us. And it was in that moment like, so clearly, so tangibly it illustrated the gospel to us. That the debt of my sin was way more than I can pay. But Jesus in his grace, he paid for it with his blood. And ever since then, Ebony and I have, uh, we've, we've had this like different perspective when it comes to giving to the needy. Now, giving to the needy is literally a line item on our budget every single month. Because we've received much. It's been transformative. And it's been a line item in our, in our budget ever since then. So in seasons of, of stable finances and in seasons of not knowing where the money's gonna come from. Giving to the needy has remained a part of our budget because we're stewards. We're not owners. Now, we already talked about like specific budgeting things already. I think in the first week of this series, um, what should kind of be on a Christian's budget, what should, what should be on a steward's budget. But today we're going to talk about another crucial element of following Jesus with finances. We're going to talk about giving to the needy, okay? So before we jump into 2 Corinthians 8, I'm going to pray for us. Will you join me? Um, Father, thank you that you're with us. Holy Spirit, thank you that you love us. I pray that this morning um, you really would encourage us, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would use me. I want to honor my friends in this room, um, these precious people. I don't want to do anything or say anything that gets in the way of what you want to accomplish. So would you use me despite myself? Um, And more than anything, God, we want to follow you. Like, we want to follow you, Jesus, because following you is what we were created to do. Worshiping you is what we were created to do, and the most joy and security and peace imaginable results in us following our King. So lead us and guide us in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so before we jump into 2 Corinthians 8, I want to give you a little bit of background on the text because it's important, okay? Right before we're going to jump in, you you need to know what's happening here. Paul, the apostle, the church planner, right? He's collecting an offering on behalf of poor Christians in the city of Jerusalem. Okay, so I want you to envision for a second the early church all around the Mediterranean, right? You have different pockets, different cities, different villages, and you have churches, not buildings, not events, people, 
in these different places, okay? Some of those Paul starts, some of those other apostles like Barnabas starts. Like either way, these, um, these churches are in these different places and there's a group of very poor Christians in the city of Jerusalem and Paul is gathering an offering to give to those poor Christians in need, okay? And he writes to the church, the people in Corinth, the Corinthians, right? He writes them and he starts chapter eight in this letter by telling them about other Christians in another city. Are you tracking with me? You've seen these different locations. Okay, he's talking to them about the Macedonian Christians. The Macedonian Christians were really poor too. Okay, and he writes the Corinthian Christians and tells them about the Macedonian Christians. He says that even in their poverty, they were begging Paul to take part in contributing to the relief of fellow Christians in Jerusalem. It says that these these poor Macedonian Christians, that they gave beyond their means to other poor Christians in Jerusalem. So, I share that with you because it's important so you can understand the context of what we're going to jump into. But also, I want to say this. Don't believe the lie that you don't have enough to be generous, ever. You always have enough to be generous, always. Don't believe the lie because it's going to keep you from joy. It's going to keep you from peace. It's going to keep you from security of being a steward and not an owner, okay? The Christian does not rely on a surplus to give. If you're waiting for a surplus to give, something has gone terribly wrong, okay? Just know that. It's like a good indicator. We're going to pick up here. Uh, Paul, he's appealing to the Corinthian Christians to join in the aid. And he starts out by saying, he goes, I'm not commanding you to give, guys. He goes, but if you truly understand the generosity of Jesus, you will give. Okay, let's keep, let's jump in here. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 8. Paul's writing to these Corinthian Christians. He says this, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it really quick, Paul is calling the Corinthians to complete the offering they had already started to contribute to, okay? So he's basically asking them to follow through with what they already started. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 11. So now finish doing it well so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Verse 13, for I do not mean that others should be eased by and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. Last verse, verse 15, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Okay, the rest of our time, we're going to talk about two things. If you're taking notes, write these two things down. They're very simple, okay? We're going to talk about giving inside the church and giving outside the church, okay? You can use the note app there on the Restored app if you'd like. Uh, Giving inside the church, giving outside the church, because following Jesus with our finances includes both, okay? So giving inside the church. 
Um, Go ahead and flip to Matthew 25 quick. I'm going to read this in just a second. Matthew 25. Um, In Matthew 25, Jesus' disciples, um, his followers, they come to him and they ask him about his second coming. Okay, they ask him about like judgment day. You know, Jesus came once um, to forgive the sins of the world and he's coming back again to judge the sins of the world. Like, tell us about this, Jesus. Tell us about judgment day. Tell us about your second coming. Okay, and this is what Jesus says. Matthew 25, starting in verse 31, Jesus says this. When the son of man, that's Jesus, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. That's, that's all the people ever, okay? All the nations. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Verse 34. Then the king, that's Jesus, will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Verse 37, then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, listen to this, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Okay. This passage, um, verse 40 in particular, is very often taken out of context, okay? The line about, you know, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Um, Where it says my brothers there, both in the NIV and the CSB, uh, they translate it this way. I think it's a, a, um, I think it's a, it's a, it's a more clear translation in modern English is what it says. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So listen, the key with this passage is who Jesus is referring to when he talks about the least of these. Who is he talking about, okay? He's talking about everyone or is he talking about some specific people? Uh, I wanna read you some quotes here. Commenting on this passage, Kevin DeYoung, he says this, quote, Matthew 25 is about social justice in the sense that it is about caring for the needy. But the needy in view are fellow Christians, especially those who depend on our hospitality and generosity for their ministry. The least of these is not a blanket statement about the church's responsibility to meet the needs of all the poor. One more quote for you. Paul Carter, another scholar, says this. The majority of scholars, past and present, have understood Jesus to be saying in Matthew 25, verse 40, that real real Christians are revealed as such by their benevolent care for fellow Christians in need. They are known as Christ's disciples by their love for one another. That should sound familiar. Uh, he says this, he continues, continues on. Therefore, this text is not a call to social justice or deeds of mercy or random acts of kindness among the poor of the world. It is a call to stand with Christian brothers and sisters in need. It is a call to help the single Christian mother buy glasses for her 14-year-old son. 
It is a call to visit the older Christian widow in the nursing home. It is a call to pay the mortgage for a brother who has lost his job. It is a call to identify with poor and persecuted Christians in North Korea and the Middle East. It is a call to be the church. Friends, I want to be really clear here, okay? Caring for the poor outside the church is extremely important for the Christian. You hear me say that? Yes, thank you. Okay, caring for the poor outside the church is extremely important for the Christian. This is a series that's specifically about following Jesus with finances, okay? And following Jesus with finances, like most certainly includes giving to the needy outside the church. Okay, we're gonna talk about that. That's the second point. We're gonna talk about that in a second. But here's what you need to know about this passage. And hear me say this. It's pretty intense. Jesus says things sometimes that are like, whoa. Here's what you need to know about this. What Jesus is communicating here is that giving to the needy inside the church is a determining factor of whether a person spends eternity with God. Not because it earns them salvation, as though you do this and God says, okay, cool, you're in. It's not, it doesn't earn your salvation, but because it reveals whether you're part of the flock. It reveals whether you're part of the family. Are you tracking with me? One more quote for you. Jamie Munson says this, quote, The church is not an organization. The church is a family. Favoring some other charity or cause above your church family indicates either a misunderstanding of the biblical definition of church or negligence. Listen to this. It would be like a father who works hard, earns a living, and then buys a bunch of new clothes for the kids down the street while his own children run around wearing garbage sacks. A Christian's first obligation in giving is to contribute to the health and well-being of the church. Friends, when Jesus says what you did to the least of these, you did to me, he's saying that how Christians care for one another, for other Christians, it determines if they actually follow Jesus. It determines if they're actually engaged in going, I want to follow you, Lord Jesus. Okay, I screw up with this all the time, just so you know. There's times when I'm like, ah, I drift from following Jesus and I have to go, oh, I don't want to do that anymore. That's what repentance is. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to follow Jesus. I'm turning the other way. Okay, what ha- what's happening here is Jesus is emphasizing and prioritizing the needs of fellow Christians. And the Apostle Paul, he, he agrees with Jesus in this. In, in Galatians chapter six, again, Galatians is a book, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the, ch- the, the, the church, the Christians in the city of Galatia, right? He writes to them in chapter six of Galatians, he tells the Galatian Christians, he says, to bear one another's burdens. And then in verse 10, he says this. So then, As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Paul is saying it's really important to to meet the needs of people in general. But he's emphasizing and prioritizing meeting the needs of fellow Christians. And guys, I haven't been everywhere in the world, but I've seen the church globally. There's so much need in the body of Christ. There's so much need in the body of Christ locally, let alone globally. So here's the thing. How do you know which Christians you're responsible for? And how do you know which Christians are responsible for you? 
like if we're gonna obey Jesus and Paul's command to love one another and help meet each other's needs and, and bear one another's burdens, does that mean that you and I are responsible for every Christian on the planet? Or every Christian in the state, maybe? Or every Christian in the valley, even? Um, I referenced it earlier, but this is a really good, how do I say this? There's a really good example of why church membership's important. Because it defines the relationship. Okay, church membership is not a requirement for salvation. Jesus' blood is the requirement for salvation. Trusting in what Jesus has done on the cross, that results in salvation, okay? Church membership is not, is not a requirement for, for salvation, but it's pretty important. I mean, one of the things about our church, we unapologetically believe that the church is the family of God. We see that's the overwhelming metaphor in the scriptures. There are other ones, body, bride, temple, but the family metaphor in the scriptures is overwhelmingly like has the most volume. It's used the most, okay? And that changes, that changes everything about how we operate. If the church is a family, if it's not a business, it's gonna affect the decisions and the choices that we make, especially with finances. That's why church membership is important because it defines the relationship. Um, church membership is not a requirement for salvation. I wanna be clear with that, but listen. What church membership basically means is these are the Christians I'm practicing those one another's, that the commands in scripture. These are the Christians I'm practicing those one another's with. Th- these are the Christians I'm responsible to and these are the Christians that are responsible for me. Are you, are you following me with this? I need to know. Yes? Okay. So listen to me say this. If you and I, as followers of Jesus, if we're gonna obey Jesus and Paul to love one another, to bear one another's burdens if we're gonna follow Jesus with our finances when it comes to giving to the needy inside the church, it's vital, hear me say this, it's vital that we know who those people are. Because if not, are you, are you, again, are you responsible for everybody? How would that even work? Okay, Jesus made a distinction, so should we. So how does that play out? What does that look like, okay? How does giving to the needy inside the church play out in the life of the follower, the disciple of Jesus? The most important thing is it makes its way on your budget. You're intentional about putting that money aside because it doesn't belong to you. Does that make sense? Yes? Okay. So in the same way you budget each month for rent or food or gas or the gym or entertainment or whatever, the disciple of Jesus, the person who wants to follow Jesus with their finances, budgets a portion of what God has entrusted to meeting the needs of fellow Christians. Um, the beautiful part about this, and you see it in the scriptures, there's this beautiful picture of everybody contributing and everybody receiving. I'll get into that in just a second. Um, really quick, it's important to note when we talk about giving to the needy, like it's a separate category. It's, it's, a, it's a unique intentional thing because it's important, okay? When it comes to following Jesus with our finances, um, I think that this is an area that's pretty misunderstood. I've, I've literally done this in my life too, so I just wanna confess that to you, but I think it's really misunderstood when we talk about giving to the needy being a separate thing, right? So I'll hear people say, and I've, been, I've done this myself, say things like, you know, like my tithe, it went to paying for so-and-so's groceries because they needed food. Um, hear me say this. Paying for somebody's groceries when they need it is 
flipping awesome, okay? It's beautiful. That's wonderful. That should be celebrated, and it's amazing. But as awesome as that is, giving to the needy is different than tithing. It's a different thing. I talked about tithing, I think, in the previous message, but, but tithing, biblically speaking, is taking 10% of what God has entrusted to you and giving it back to him. Giving to the needy is different. So for instance, just to let you know in, in kind of our household how it works, um, my family's budget includes our tithe every month. It's the first fruits, like God talks about in scripture. He gets the first. Goes to him, his purposes. Not what I think he should do with it, you know? <clears throat> so my, my, our budget, tithe goes every month, and then there's separate money aside for giving inside the church and then giving outside the church, okay? <clears throat> so really quickly, I don't, I don't wanna just get too practical with this. I want you to think about it. Like just take a moment and think about it. Imagine what it would be like if nobody in our church was in need. Like all the needs were met. That includes yours. You're not the slave, you know, the workhorse is just working your tail off to make sure that a bunch of lazy people get what they need. No, 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 no. An entire community of people where there is no needs, there are no needs. Like, think about that for a second. When the church began, that's how it functioned. From the very beginning of the church coming together, <clears throat> right after Jesus' ascension, the Holy Spirit falls, and in one day, the church becomes like 3,000 people. We read about it in Acts chapter 2. Let me read this to you quick. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 and they, the Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Listen to this, verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And listen to this. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Friends, the early church was this amazing, robust, incredible community. It was a family where no one was in need. It's spectacular. That no one was in need because they were so committed to each other that they did whatever it took to meet each other's needs. Like, that's radical. Name one other community that does that. If you know one, cool, I'd love to hear about it because that sounds incredible. Okay, it's a radical. It's living that way will get the attention of people, man. When you live that radically and sacrificially and generously, that causes people, especially in Western culture, to go, what is going on with that cult over there? What is happening with those, those radical people who are sacrificing for each other so that no one has need? Now again, I think in our culture, we, we, tend, to, we tend to insert ourselves into the position of, I'm the, person who's gonna, I'm the person who's gonna have to give a bunch away. And just for all these people who either aren't deserving of it or whatever, like, but think about this. Everybody, including you, nobody in need. <clears throat> community radically loving each other because everybody's contributing and receiving. Um, it's f 
funny. It's God's like comedic and brilliant and wonderful kind heart. Uh, Ebony and I experienced being on the receiving end of this in a huge way this week. <clears throat> Those of you guys know, Eb's been having these weird body pains. Don't know what it is. She's finally going to get seen by the doctor tomorrow to, to do some blood work. She, she went into urgent care and they took a swab of something and the test like failed. So we have no idea. We've been waiting. Um, but she's had these weird body aches and pains and stuff with her back. And it's just been, many of you guys have reached out and like, it's been wonderful and you've been praying for her and stuff. But it's been hard, okay? And one of the things that's been tough too is uh, for a couple years now, um, the bed that we sleep on, it, it doesn't work, like it hurts her. She wakes up sore already and then now the, she had the back pains and it's just been getting worse and um, it's been tough. And... Um, this week, Jason and the gospel community, they like rallied together <clears throat> and they pitched in and they bought us a brand new bed. And guys, the bed's f- amazing, <laughs> okay? Like, I literally, I was telling, uh, I, was ask, I was talking to some of the guys from the gospel community uh, earlier this morning. They're like, so how'd you sleep? And I was like, I didn't wake up once last night. Like, that's, the, our previous bed, like, I, I work, it worked for me okay. But this new bed, guys, is like, it's not like, you know, Costco cheap good deal bed. It's like, like crazy luxurious. It's amazing, okay? <clears throat> and it's funny because I'm just, I, I'm so, I feel so loved by God and I'm so proud of our church, but they didn't just bless Ebony and I. Like, they identified more than just our need. Um, they surprised Colton Pokey with a bed, too. Can I get an amen, sister? <clears throat> As a community, they saw needs, and they worked together to meet them. They pulled their resources together to meet the needs. I just so happen to be on the receiving end of it this time and I feel so blessed. And I can speak for Colton and Pokey, they feel so blessed and loved. And it's crazy, like when Jason pulled up in the truck to deliver the bed, like he's like, I'm like, hey, like, what is this? You know, and he's like, oh, the gospel community wanted to bless you. Like, let's put, it in your, let's put it in your room right now kind of thing. Me and Ebony just started crying. We're like, really? Like, this is so thoughtful and so kind and so generous I tell you that story because stories like that are not normal. But you know what? In the family of God, they ought to be. And in the family of God, they are. Because following Jesus with our finances means prioritizing the needs of fellow Christians. And guys, listen to me say this. This is a big portion, okay? Do you realize what happens when we do that? Do you realize what happens when followers of Jesus do that with each other? We demonstrate something profound to the world, okay, and to each other. We demonstrate what God's kingdom is like for people who don't understand it or have forgotten it. We demonstrate what God's kingdom is like. In God's kingdom, hear me say this, in God's kingdom, he's king. He sits on the throne. He rules. He reigns. It's it's his kingdom, okay? Okay. But far too many people, they don't understand that God is a good and gracious king. 
They think he's like a tyrant in the sky waiting for you to screw up, waiting to remove blessing from your life or waiting there with a whip going like, if you want blessing, you gotta earn it. That's not what he's like. When the people of God, when the family of God, when we prioritize and meeting the needs of each other, we demonstrate what God's kingdom is like to Christians who have forgotten and people who don't know. When we live in such a way where we prioritize meeting the needs of the, of the family of God, we show people, guys, what living under Jesus' lordship is really like. We demonstrate that God's kingdom is good. <clears throat> Let me say this too. It's way better than when I'm king. Because when I'm king, I'm selfish. And needs go unmet all the time. Okay, next thing. Uh, last point. I'm almost done here, guys. Giving outside the church. <clears throat> okay, so giving outside the church. Jesus is clear in the scriptures that the needs of the family of God are the priority, right? But he's equally clear that giving to the needy outside the church is really important, okay? Um, to save time, I'm just gonna kind of summarize some passages. Uh, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus speaks about loving your neighbor as yourself. Okay, when he says that, a guy goes, well, who's my neighbor? And basically what Jesus says is, he basically defines neighbor as anyone you come in contact with. Dang. <clears throat> in Luke chapter six, uh, Jesus says something even more intense than love your neighbor as yourself. He says, love your enemy. He says, do good to those who hate you. And Jesus even specifically mentions like doing generous things to them. Why? Why? Right after Jesus says, love your enemy, he actually tells us why. In Luke 6, I'll read you verse 36 there. He says, this is why. Why love your neighbor as yourself? Why love your enemy? Why do good to those who hate you? Why be generous to people that hate you? Why? In Luke 6, verse 36, he says, be merciful, even as your father, he's talking about God the Father, is merciful. So friends, here's why giving to the needy outside the church is so important because it demonstrates what God is like. Hear me say that. When we give to the needy inside the church, we demonstrate what God's kingdom is like, his rule, his reign is like. When we give to the needy outside the church, we demonstrate what he himself is like. And when we talked about how giving to the needy inside the church, it demonstrates what his kingdom is like. But listen to me, people need to know what he's like too. And Paul says it beautifully uh, in, Corinth, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verse 9. We already read this, right? But this idea of demonstrating what God himself is like. Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, all the riches in heaven, he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Friends, Jesus Christ God in the flesh, he saw you and I in our desperate need. He saw us devastated by sin, my sin and the sins done to me, your sin and the sins done to you. He saw us broken, he saw us selfish, he saw us needy. And in love and in grace, he left the riches of heaven and he sacrificed more than anybody ever has 
to provide for the outsider, for those who are far from him, to provide for those who reject him. Friends, that's me and that's you. You need to know that God is compassionate. He's compassionate towards those in need and he's not passive about it. He's not passive. He's sacrificially generous at great cost to himself. That's what he's like. And friends, when the family of God, when, when the family of God gives to the needy outside of the church, we demonstrate what God himself is like. You follow me with this? Compassionate, gracious, kind, sacrificial. All right, I'll close with this. I'll call the band up. How are we doing, okay? I'm almost done. You feel that air conditioner yet? Good. <clears throat> uh, it's interesting. I shared earlier about how, you know, we jumped into this following Jesus with finances series because it was really what God was doing in the church. A bunch of people independently seeking, seeking knowledge and information and wisdom and guidance on, on one specific thing. Uh, God tends to do that in the family of God often when he's stirring something up in people and seeing them, wanting to see them grow in specific ways. And one of the things that's happened, it's kind of interesting in the last two weeks, uh, is many of you have expressed the desire to share Jesus with your non-Christian friends and neighbors. Like you want them to know about Jesus. It's beautiful, man. It's awesome. But many of you have been like, I want them to know, but I'm like not really sure what to say. Like I don't want to say the wrong thing I don't, how, do I get into this crazy apologetics argument about, you know, creationism versus evolution and like all that stuff? Like, what would I say? I want them to know, but I don't know what to say. Can I make a suggestion? Just do what Jesus did, man. Identify a need in their life. Sacrifice to meet that need. And when they ask you, why on earth are you doing this? Just tell them. Jesus saw my greatest need. Jesus saw my greatest need and he sacrificed for me. He saw my my greatest need. He sacrificed for me to meet my need. And I just want to be like him. Friends, following Jesus with our finances means regularly giving to those in need both inside the church and outside the church. And when we do that, we demonstrate what his kingdom is like and what he is like. There's nothing more beautiful than Jesus. Nothing. I'm gonna finish with one more quote for you. I don't have a lot of quotes today, but I read a lot this week. Stephen Um says this quote, Jesus gave not just a tenth of himself, but all of his riches. He embraced poverty so that we might become rich. His radical act of total self-giving is the only thing that can consistently move us to give beyond the minimum. In essence, if we don't desire to respond to God's grace with sacrificial giving, then we have not yet fully understood the nature of the gospel. 
the answer to our motivation problem is not adherence to a new command, but a more thoroughgoing knowledge and experience of the extravagant self-giving of Christ. If we understand that all we have is a direct result of what Christ has given us, we will be moved to give out of our abundance, to carry others' burdens, and to seek after fairness and equity. Friends, I have to ask you, has the gospel penetrated your heart? Not just your mind. Has it penetrated your heart? Has it moved you? Has it changed you? Does Jesus' sacrifice for you personally, does it inspire you to sacrifice for others? Does it motivate you to joyfully and sacrificially give to meet the needs of others inside and outside of the church? I'm not, I'm not, this isn't like lip service. I'm talking like actually experiencing joy in doing that. Has the gospel moved you? If so, praise God, man. Praise God. Let's keep working together to demonstrate what God and his kingdom are really like. But if not, if not, I want to pray. I want to pray that the generosity of God and the generosity of God's people would free you from living a self-focused life. From living a life that's missing out on the joy and the peace and the security of living in God's kingdom instead of your kingdom. Will you stand if you're able? I want to pray for us right now. I'm going to take just a moment and I'm going to pray. Father, we don't want to build our own kingdom. We want to follow Jesus. He's the king. And I feel really grateful in this moment for your grace that covers me, for your grace that covers every person in this room when we make decisions um, that aren't in alignment with the decisions that you would have us make. When we make poor choices, when we make self-centered choices, when we make temporary investments and not eternal investments, when we live for ourselves and our glory instead of living for you and your glory. But the beautiful thing about living for you and your glory is that we don't do that alone and that you surround us with a family where no one's in need. I pray that over our church. I want that, God. I want it. And I'm asking you for it, that we would be a community that isn't just excited about being together on a Sunday morning, although I love this, I live for this but we would actually be people deeply related to each other uh, with, with like, that would actually bear one another's burdens. It would literally mean that when someone else experiences a burden, that that's a burden on me because I love them. I pray that over every single one of us. And even if it's not here, even if it's not with this people, that every single person in this room would have a clear picture of your gospel, of you leaving the riches of heaven and sacrificing yourself so that we could experience the peace and the joy and the security of living in your kingdom where there's no need 
and our circumstances do not define whether or not we can have that joy and that security and that peace. Your eternal grace and your love for us is what defines that. So I pray freedom over the room. I pray, I pray joy over the room. I pray security over the room that money can never give us. And I pray that we would be a people who respond to what you've done and who you are in our lives by worshiping and giving of ourselves because we know that you're not gonna, like we don't have to be afraid. You're not, you're not gonna forsake us. You're not gonna leave us out to dry because we give away something. Thank you, Jesus. You're kind. My heart's desire is that you would knit us together, that we would be a people where no need or there's no needs, and we have joy and peace as we give and give and give to meet the needs of each other and the needs of our city and the needs of our nation and the needs of the planet. Give us an eternal perspective, King Jesus. We love you. Amen.